0: Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. We are back. The Badgers basketball season officially can begin because the swing has now officially begun. Football season, the regular season is done. It is now portal season slash basketball season for us, Jesse.
1: Yes. It's a great time of year. And I should mention, if I'm not mistaken, this is our seventh season of the swing. And if you factor in a possible red shirt year, a COVID year and a <laughs> medical red shirt
0: year, I think we still have some eligibility left. Luke fickles wondering, is this, is this even podcasting anymore? Is this, is this even podcasting anymore? Having, having a seven year guy here, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Um, because he did question that, right? I mean, he did he did question that about the Utah quarterback and wondering if this was even college football anymore. But we are in the podcasting game. We our first year was when Brad Davison and company were true freshmen. I believe yes. that was our our first year. So because we were, I remember saying, "Oh, we're a new era starting at Wisconsin and uh, a new podcast is starting at Wisconsin." But yes, this is uh, year seven for. Us and the Badgers off to a solid start. They're seven games into it. They're quarterway into it. Got plenty to get to throughout the show. Gonna probably talk about some of the expectations, what we were expected before the season and, and what we've seen so far. We did have talked a little bit of basketball on Temple and Heilprin, which is on Thursdays out at Monks and Sun Prairie. So, uh, we 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 have talked basketball. We haven't done a swing yet, but we've talked some basketball. We also have a special guest scheduled to join us here coming up in a little bit. It is the freshman phenom John Blackwell. He has uh, really turned some heads, Jesse. I think he's been among the brightest surprises for the Badgers so far. I don't know if I think you would agree with that. No
1: question about it. We heard about the defensive prowess and kind of think of him as a junkyard dog type of of player and thought he might have an opportunity to play. But what he's done offensively has been really surprising to me, at least. Probably not people in the program who've been watching him practice. He's coming off the bench and he's averaging almost double digits in scoring. He's shooting 50% from the field. He's given them such a lift. And it's exactly why it's so fun to watch a college basketball season unfold because you just never know who's going to emerge.
0: Yeah. So looking forward to chatting with him. You you mentioned people in the program. Well, I I mean, Greg Gard spoke about it early in the year, like maybe a week or two before the opener. He wasn't sure if he was going to play. And then all of a sudden it kind of turned, it turned on for him. And he's been almost, he's been invaluable to what they've been able to do early on. I mean, obviously there's been some highs, been some lows. Think about the highs, think about the Virginia game. Think about them winning and beating uh, SMU for the Fort Myers tip-off championship and the lows, providence game and what happened out east they've got some big challenges coming up here the next three games for wisconsin starting saturday against marquette they're marquette who's number three in the country then they go to michigan state who fell out of the rankings this past week but it's still michigan state still breslin center and then they go to number two arizona so they're going to find out a lot about themselves we'll we'll talk about those games in a little bit and look ahead to what they're going to be facing but i wanted to start with a big-picture view of what you've seen through seven games and whether it's what you expected with so many returning guys and and adding a few pieces in, or is it uh, has it surprised you in any way to this point?
1: I think what they did in Fort Myers was more indicative of what I thought this team was going to be when I watched early. I mean, you can't fault Wisconsin for losing even at home to Tennessee. That Tennessee team is outstanding, and Dalton Connect has looked like a player of the year candidate i think the providence game in particular was one where you go ah eh, this looks like more of the same from last year but then they go down there and they beat a virginia team a top 25 virginia team by just dominating defensively and i think that's kind of what i anticipated and now they're going into this marquette game having won four consecutive and i feel like perhaps this badgers team is starting to resemble the one that we thought there's a lot of talent there and when wisconsin is at its best this is a team that i think can beat just about anyone in the country, and that was kind of what I went into the season thinking.
0: So there were obviously some concerns early in the year defensively. I yes, I mean they did not play well defensively in the first few games of the year. Are they coming along though on that front? It certainly seems like it.
1: Yes, I absolutely feel that way. And and maybe when we look back later on in the season, you can view that Virginia game as a, a turning point because. They just played so well in, in that game. And I know that Virginia typically was a team anyway that liked to slow things down. I think coming into that game, Virginia was fifth in the country in scoring defense, 51 points per game, top five, top 10 in terms of defensive efficiency and field goal percentage and and possessions per game. But Wisconsin did what it does and played really well. And I think we've seen that the, the last few games. Now, <laughs> this upcoming stretch is going to be totally different. And if they can do something like that against a Marquette, then that's really going to show the potential of this Badgers team.
0: Yeah, I mean Marquette has—I don't want to say a, a generational team for that school, oh, but it's—I mean it's I it's do. up there. I mean it's <laughs> it's up there, right? It's it, it kind of feels like the the 14, 15 Wisconsin team. I'm not saying they're that good. I'm just saying that's the type of team. Like you bring all these guys back off of a, a successful team. They won the Big East last year. They won the Big East tournament last year. They didn't make it out of the first weekend of the tournament. Hate to see it. Uh, But there are like they have that. It's like that type of team. You don't often get all these things coming together at the same time to put yourself in the position. You are Purdue in a very similar manner because you keep on getting Zach. You to come back. Um, So (laughs) like those are like, that's the type of team that's going to be coming into the Kohl center on Saturday. Uh, It would be a huge, obviously win for Wisconsin. These next three games, you win any of them. I think you're happy. Uh, I don't think, uh, you, you, if you go all in three, it sucks, but it's also probably not unexpected, but if they're able to steal one on Saturday, that'd be significant. But just in, in terms of what they did in these first seven games, yeah, I still think it, it, AJ Store has been a great addition. John Blackwell has been a great addition. Nolan Winter playing almost, I think it's about nine, 10 minutes a game has been a nice uh, piece. You've gotten even some contributions from Mark Silver and Kamari McGee. So they're, that to me maybe is more so, the, the thing that stood out to me, anything. And we, we were, I think they were hoping that this was going to be the case, but they were so lacking depth last year. And that is not the case this year. They have a bunch of different lineups that they can throw at people and, and go through that. They didn't have those options last year. And I think Greg Gar's still trying to maneuver and figure out exactly how he wants to use them. But the depth of this team has shown itself here in these first seven games.
1: There's no question this team appears to be better positioned for long-term success this season because of that depth to get a guy like AJ store out of the portal from St. John's is he, he has that game changing ability. And I know efficiency wise that you would like him to be more efficient. He's only shooting 40% from the field. He's only shooting 23% on three pointers, but even watching the Western Illinois game on Monday night, you can see some of that burst that makes him special dynamic game changing I think of a couple situations in the first half where he's just able to get out in, on the fast break. And one led to a foul and another was instant points. He's relentless. I mean, he had the ball on the right wing and drove baseline and scored easily. Those are the kind of things that he can really provide. And obviously when you bring a guy like store in, what it does is it gives you the opportunity to bring someone like Connor a off the bench. And I'm sure we'll get into his play at this point. It, it hasn't been what anybody thought. I know he was hurt early and still trying to find a groove. But he did hit a couple three-pointers against Western Illinois, and he just feels like the kind of guy where you just need to get him going a little bit, and he can get hot. And we haven't seen it yet, but we did see it last year. So when I talked to Greg a few weeks ago, he mentioned the value of having a spark off the bench and how important that is. So they do have that depth, and, and as we've discussed, having a guy like John Blackwell who can come in and give you so much as well as the other people, it makes this team more dangerous.
0: Yeah, I mean the the spark off the bench we thought would be Connor Seigan, and it's been right. Blackwell instead. But it's that's the fact that you know what Connor Seigan did last year. It's not it 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 hasn't just disappeared just because he's shooting the way he is right now. Doesn't mean he can't shoot. Um, it is the the shot has not looked as smooth as it did uh, a year ago, and maybe he's still trying to figure things out in, on, in that respect. But the the depth of the team is certainly going to be something that. You look at it and say, Yeah, that's that's gonna be a strength of theirs throughout the year, and especially if guys were to get hurt. We saw it happen last year. And one of those guys that got hurt last year was Tyler Wall. And the start to the season for him and the start to the season for Stephen Crowell was like you you guys are fourth and fifth year guys in this program. And you didn't play and they weren't playing like it. And the Providence game obviously stands out. They they played soft. They were not aggressive and they were a lot of the team was spending a lot of time watching them back down their guy for 15 seconds. It seemed like, and Greg Gard called them out after that game. And I think we've seen a huge change out of their attacking. I mean, there was one there once or twice against Western Illinois, Tyler wall still kind of was backing his guy down and and everyone was watching, but for the most part, he's been attacking and not waiting around and attacking on the drive as opposed to just trying to back his guy down and Steven Crowell, filled up the stat sheet against Western Illinois, a, a team that obviously doesn't necessarily have the size, but a, a big that certainly gave them some troubles at times. Uh, those two guys, I, these last few games, really probably since the Providence game, have been different. And and, was and, one I, of, and and I'm wondering, for you, why that is the case and why it takes Greg Gard you know, calling him out, which is something he doesn't do very often, to have that happen. Well, I would say
1: Greg calling those guys out is important because it shows that Greg knows they have more to offer and would be able to respond because they are veteran guys. Now, should it take that? Not necessarily, but hey, if that's a one-time thing and it helps turn the corner for those guys, that's great. And I was going to say, what was one of the biggest issues with the team last season? The inability to finish in the paint. And particularly, we talked a lot about Tyler's struggles, but he also had that ankle injury, which... When I talked to him earlier this season, he talked about how he came back. He wasn't anywhere close to 100 percent and he would have needed several weeks to recover. But you're in the middle of a season. It's the Big Ten grind. You want to contribute. And he just was never the same. Well, he's shooting almost 50 percent, 56 percent from the field right now. Stephen Crowell shooting 60 percent from the field. And those aren't guys who are going to take a lot of three pointers right now. They're, they're three for seven collectively. Tyler's only taken two. So their bread and butter is going to be scoring in the paint. And Greg has said he felt all along like Crowell was the type of player who could be an all-Big Ten caliber player if he would just play with that ferocity and toughness consistently. And we're having this conversation as the team is in the midst of a four-game winning streak and playing better. And so you feel much better about where this team is headed. But those two guys obviously going to be instrumental to what Wisconsin wants to do and have to be effective in the paint.
0: What would your suggestion be to – make sure that Stephen Crowell plays that way all the time. Like, do you, do you insult him? Do you, I was going to say just, slap him in the face. Oh, that was going to say, yeah. like, the, do you remember there was a guy that played for the Tennessee Titans? I think it, it wasn't Haynesworth; It was somebody else, but he would have a guy, a, a trainer slap him in the face before games, like multiple times just to piss him off. How do you, how do you, I don't know how you do that with a college kid, especially one with a baby face, like Stephen Crowell. I don't know how you go ahead and just, slap slap it all the time but like that is the most i think probably for fans is is one of the tougher things to deal with because he has all this size he has all this ability and if he just plays with the with some attitude all the time you have a a really really good player and and hopefully hopefully he does play if for wisconsin's case he does play with a little bit of attitude the rest of the way I, i but i don't know how you get it out of him on a consistent basis sometimes it's either you have it or you don't
1: I do think there has to be a type of mentality when you step on the floor. And I go back to Frank Kaminsky, especially when he was a senior, uh, when he had all that confidence, when he knew what his talent level and skill set was. Hey, I'm the best guy on the floor right now. And I'm going to go dominate my matchup and dominate this game. And I'm not necessarily comparing the two because Frank ended up being the national player of the year. But because he was a big man at Wisconsin and developed over time, I'm making that comparison in the sense of I think it starts with the mindset. And when he does go out there and you see that look in his eye and his willingness to just back a guy down, I want the ball. I'm going to score. He's extremely difficult to handle. And so that version of Crowell is going to make Wisconsin so much better.
0: Yeah. I think the, uh, there have been times this year. Also, I don't, I'm trying to remember which game it was. It might've been Providence. It might've been, might've been the game after. Don't remember exactly which one it is, but there are a few times where he's not even, he's not even looking for the three pointer. We know he's got that. Skill. He's not shooting him, but we know we've seen him hit him, right? We know that he he's got that. There's times where he's not even looking at the rim. Do you think that's a situation where that's Greg Gard saying don't look at the rim? Because It's kind of like Frank with with Bo, right? Like don't shoot <laughs> unless there's one second left on the shot clock, which was kind of I think he he mentioned that to him either when he was a freshman or a sophomore in games. Like don't don't shoot unless uh uh there it's like the end of the shot clock. Don't do it. I don't think that's probably what Greg's doing with him. I wouldn't think he would want to put that in his mind, but it hasn't, he hasn't necessarily been even looking for his shot from the outside very much. Well, part of me
1: wonders whether this is just sort of a concerted effort. And I don't know whether the staff, I mean, would just say, here, here's a red light. Like, I don't see that. That's not how they operate. But, but I, I think with, with Crowell, I mean, he was shooting 30, 31% the last couple of years from three, and he was averaging two and a half threes taken per game. And now you're seeing He's not even averaging one three-pointer taken per game. He's only taken five at this stage. And and maybe some of it is just my value in the post can be so beneficial for this program. And if look, if he's going to shoot over 60% from the field, then that's where you want him. Now, he is three for five on threes, so it's a delicate balance to strike. But the other thing is you've got other guys who can do that, who can shoot threes. Um, While it hasn't been a particularly high percentage at this point, AJ store, Chucky Hepburn, Max klesman all guys who have taken more than 23s at this point. And so if you get Crowell in the post with his passing ability, which is something he's always had, that is something that can make Wisconsin more dynamic. Cause if he's dominating in the paint and you've got two guys collapsing, it's going to create an opening for somebody. So that's maybe how I'm looking at it right now. Well, and they,
0: and they he has been getting double teamed. I think a fair amount is fair to say. So, and he, and he, he is, he's a very good passer. It, as a facilitator he and that's another thing that has really stood out about Wisconsin bigs usually right whether it's Ethan Happ uh Frank was pretty good as well getting rid of the ball and putting it where it needs to be and and uh Stephen is kind of that that same way so yes doesn't necessarily need to hit those threes but when you look at their three point percentage yeah. someone needs to i remember Not we ideal. Ta- i mean we talked we talked on T- uh, Temple and Heilprin about whether they would shoot, I think it was, I think I said like 36%. That was like the, what's more likely 36% from three-point range or 75% from the free throw line. Well, the free throw line, they're actually right around that. And the three-point range, they're nowhere close to it. They're, They're under 31%. They have gone in waves, I think, over years, like where they start out shooting it really, really poorly. And then they come on at the end and it always ends up like 34, 35%. Do you think they, like, I think they have some good three point shooters. I, I, you know, Connor Asijan, Max Klezman, Chucky Hepburn, like AJ Storm. I think, eh, I don't know if you want him shooting a high, high volume of them, but like, he's got that in him too. And certainly John Blackwell has gotten off to a solid start from beyond the arc. And then not even mentioning Nolan Winter and, uh, and Steven Crow, both guys that we know can step out and, and shoot those, but yikes to be able to, compete at a high level they have to be better shooting the ball from three than they are right now
1: well they're gonna have to get hot to get to that 35 percent mark because right now they're at 30.8 percent and let's well, so, only co- you
0: say it's a small state only a size. quarter way we're only quarter <laughs> way barely not even a quarter way through the season you're seven games yes. into it play 30 something right and
1: the first three players you mentioned were the three that i was going to talk about too did I expect Connor Sejan to open this season three for 16 from three, 18.8%? Absolutely not. I think part of it that has to be a struggle, and I felt this way when I played, like he's averaging 8.6 minutes per game. And a lot of that has to do with AJ Stores coming in, and he's going to take a lot of those minutes. And the way the rotations are right now, he hasn't had time and the injury didn't help. I think that's especially difficult for a three-point shooter to get into rhythm. If you're going to be in and you're maybe going to get one three-pointer up and then you come to the bench, that's a challenge. Um, on the other hand, you need to be able to accept that, understand your role and make it when you get those opportunities. But I have, I'm less concerned about him long-term because of this, what we saw last year. But you've also got Chucky who's shooting 31% and Klesman, who's shooting 30%. Those guys are capable of so much more I look at what Chucky did at the end of the Western Illinois game. And again, I know that's not exactly Tennessee or Michigan state. He can get so hot. He made five straight shots. And the way he made some of those shots were ridiculous because he's got the ball on the string. He can break anybody down and the the step back. And it took some luck because it seemed like it bounced on every part of the rim, (laughs) but he made a step back from the left corner while falling away from three, and it's just like, my God. I mean, if he can do that more consistently, and not necessarily that kind of shot, but just be able to create and get a good look and get some confidence, he's somebody that I think can have an outstanding year as a shooter. Now it hasn't happened yet, but that stretch to me showed what he's capable of offensively.
0: It was takeover time. I mean, it was takeover. Yeah. I mean, it was closing time essentially what it was for him. And he that's exactly what he did. I Chucky's gonna be Chucky. I I that I think that's going to come around. I don't, he's not a, uh, when you, when you look at his three point percentage, him shooting 30% right now, that's not who he is. He's he's, and he's, you know, he wasn't the 50% that he was shooting at this time last year, where he got off such, such to a hot start, but I, 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 I would struggle to see him shooting 30% for an entire year. I think 38, 39, maybe 40 is more of who he is. And certainly Connor Asijan as well, but, but think about the last stretch of last year and he started this stretch yeah. to this year it hasn't been good. I think he finished like at 22% over like the last 10 games of last year. And now he's off to, so this is a seven, this is a 17 game stretch here where he hasn't necessarily shot it well. And you talk about coming off the bench and failing or struggling to find a rhythm. That was his role last year though. You know what I mean? Like he was able to come off the bench last year and he started really hot from, from the outside. And it's, it's what forced him into the starting lineup, right? Because they, um, you know, with Davis, they, uh, with Jordan Davis, he wasn't doing. He wasn't giving him a ton offensively, and that's what they needed. And so that's why Connor Ossiegen came into the starting lineup. But again, he's not a three for sixteen shooter either. We know that. So if those two guys figure it out, and, and Max Klezman probably is not going to shoot the the volume that he that he. Uh, I mean, what is he? Seven for twenty three. I guess that that actually is a pretty high volume, considering the most on the team is twenty six. But is he better than seven for twenty three? Probably. Probably he's also at thirty percent. Your best three shooters are 308 percent, thirty point four percent, and eighteen point eight percent through seven. But, games. Cle,
1: but Klesman has hit some big ones, and I, I think of the SMU oh, yeah. game in
0: particular. What were they? One for eighteen to start on it three. Wasn't good. He, he he hit a really a uh, big it was, one. It was I, it was reminiscent of the Iowa State game <laughs> in the in the in the tournament. It it had yeah. me having it gave me some flashbacks. Yeah. So, but he's a he's a
1: he can make some big shots, is 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 the point, but they all can. It's just, and I feel like we it's a broken record because we've talked about this over the years. A matter of that consistency, that's what's held Wisconsin back. And they've got to have it, but it's still early enough that and, and I I'm encouraged by the play overall these last few games, obviously.
0: Yeah. Again, we're doing this in advance of <laughs> yeah. The toughest three game stretch. No doubt. Non-conference-wise, that I that I can remember them them having, maybe they've played had to do this in conference a couple of times. I, I want to say they'd go at like a number, uh, top ten Iowa team, and then they had to go to Maryland against a, a really good Maryland team. I, I'm trying to think which year that was. I think it was it was either I think it was either Greg's first year or second year. And no, I think it might have been the first year where they were they caught fire at the end of that that season and all of a sudden started playing. It, it's irrelevant. This is as tough of a stretch as as you can possibly put up, but. Um, there was, there was one guy that we haven't talked about a guy that has yet to play. He almost played last night, uh, got to the scores table and then ended up not playing. And that is, uh, Gus Yaldin, who obviously stayed away from the team for a little bit av- and which apparently was not related to the two citations he received for being a college student. That's what I'm, I, that's what I'm saying. It is. That's what, those are two citations for being a college student, uh, <laughs> even though, even though, even though it's, it, you're held to, I guess, a little bit of a higher standard being on the basketball team and you have to be a little bit smarter and um, and all that good stuff. But what's going on? What what is going on there? It it looked like he was and they, they mentioned it on the telecast, but also people at the game saw it. And uh, he just turned around, and went back and I think said, told the coach something. And then he just went back to where he was on the bench. And I think this is obvious situation where he's trying to think of whether he wants to redshirt or not. But mm-hmm. The fact that you're that wishy-washy about about it to the point that you actually got to the scorer's table and then decided not to, I feel like that's a conversation they had to have had before the game, and probably have had over these last few weeks, and for it to get to that point and then all of a sudden turn around and be like, "Eh, nah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It was certainly a highly unusual situation to see him go to the scorer's
1: table and then go back, and I do think at this point in the season, you have to consider what will hold the most value for you long-term? Is it playing a handful of games and a few minutes in, in late in games? Or is it taking a redshirt year? And I think based on the way things have transpired early this season, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him to to redshirt. But that's also a really difficult decision to make when you're in the middle of a season. Um, and what's interesting to me also is that you look at the three recruits that they signed in that class, Yaldin got the most pub by far with the recruiting rankings, with everything he accomplished, and yet the other two are playing. But it, it was pretty clear that he he wasn't necessarily going to be a part of the rotation this year. So I think it could be a good situation for him to just be able to learn. And it's good for him to be with the team in general at this stage, based on what's happened so far.
0: He also had a very good marketing campaign going for him there in, in high school. Yes. Um, The Gus bus, the Gus bus, right. What a name. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. It's impressive. What would have to happen for him to play this year? I mean, how many, I mean, you're, I mean, you're looking at guys going down, aren't you? To play yes. To play an extensive amount of minutes. Like, I don't know how he gets on the court at this point, if he hasn't been able to do it yet. I don't necessarily see it.
1: Um, I mean, we've seen other guys before have to play. Nate reivers right. comes to mind, but that was a different situation. He was next in line, and there is a, a longer line at
0: this point for Yaldin. And also seven feet. And, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, have, yeah physically ready and you know kudos to to gus for losing the weight that he did but it also kind of changes the type of game he has to play too right he's not going to be able to bang around with fives at 215 pounds or 220 i i got i don't not going to try and guess his weight at this point but like he's he's not going to be able to to bang around with those guys so it's a tough answer it's a tough situation for him and it's a tough decision that is clearly still he's still wavering on so We'll see. We'll see how that that plays out. All right, let's get to our interview with John Blackwell, the uh, true freshman who has certainly burst onto the scene for the Badgers. And we do bring in a special guest. It is Wisconsin freshman guard John Blackwell. John, thanks for joining us. How guys doing? No. Doing good, doing good. Uh, you guys obviously have a big one coming up on Saturday and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. And I know it's going to be a whiteout at uh, at the Kohl Center as Marquette, the number 3 team in the country, comes to Madison, but I wanted to start a little bit further back than that. Uh, your dad, Glenn, he played at basketball for Illinois back in the in the 1980s, and I'm wondering, yeah. I just wanted to start with this, when did you first beat him in one-on-one or has it happened yet?
2: Oh, um. I first beat him in, like, seventh, eighth grade, like, during, like, quarantine. Um, And his excuse is, I can't take you serious when I'm playing. I'm always laughing. So, (laughs) he he doesn't want to play me anymore. Definitely not now. Or definitely when I was in high school. But, I mean, he's still, like, his jump shot is still there. Um, Don't get me mistaken. We play sevens all the time. and He's right there with me sometimes.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, obviously, you've seen the highlights. You know about his game. Is there anything that – in his game that you wish you had in yours?
2: Uh anything. Um, I think he was probably more athletic than me. I wish I had so his athleticism. Okay. Uh um, he has a, a long week span. Plus he was a left hander. You know how hard it is to guard left handers sometimes. So uh I wish I was left handed some days. Um, I low, I low key asked my dad or my brother during quarantine. You guys can teach me how to be left handed during this quarantine. They never did. So um, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, his shooting was really good. I mean, I got the shooting. Uh, he was probably a better shooter than me, but that's fine. Uh, I'll stick with my shooting right now.
1: I was going to ask what you feel like you learned from him as a basketball player, since he couldn't teach you to be left-handed. What did you learn? Uh,
2: definitely like just knowledge of the game. Uh, most of my knowledge comes from him. Um, I mean, me picking up through experiences, but like learning about the game, learning the flaws and the ins and outs of the game comes from him. Um, cutting back door, moving without the basketball, that mostly comes from him. He's big on that. Um, and just hard work. Uh, kind of comes from him and like motivating yourself. Um, he's definitely, he's like a motivational coach to me. Um, just like a, a leadership guy for me. Um, with me myself being a leader um, when I was in high school. He was definitely big on me, on that aspect, on the court, being a leader. So, yeah.
0: I mean, there are a couple different ways I could have gone with this next question because I think – you kind of talked about the the passion that you have for basketball. So I guess I'll go with that one. It's not just the game though. It's the training too, right? I mean, before in, in getting ready for Wisconsin, you put a little bit more into it. What was that process like of, you know, taking the next step from where you were? I think you had a multiple trainers actually. Uh, what was the, what was this process getting to this point, you know, from where you were in high school?
2: Yeah. So I definitely want to shout out like a few trainers, um, uh, Drew Myers, um. These are basketballers. Drew Myers, um, Josh Baker, um, Josh Baker uh, was an assistant at Alabama. Um, uh, those are those are the two that I really worked with, um, but then like strength wise and conditioning, um, Guardist Tate was a was a really huge one. Um, they just wrote an article about how he saw a guard in the airport and approached guard and just. Said I got a kid for you, and guard went down to Atlanta, uh, where I was. He was already going there, but he went down and saw me play. and Was really, really intrigued by game, and that's what started my recruiting from there. Um, um, LJ Harrison, a boxing coach back home. Um, I didn't really box with him, but we did a lot of weightlifting, a lot of um conditioning with him. He was definitely a big one. And then lastly, um, fixed performance, um, John Reyes. Uh, over there at Fixed Performance, they like really improved my strength and techniques, and like things that I came up here and got right into. I wasn't like a step behind in some of the weight training, like didn't know what I was doing. So he definitely helped me um, in that aspect. What
1: were your expectations for yourself coming into this season, even? Though you do all this training, it's obviously a different level when you get on the court at the college level. So, when practices started, what did you expect of yourself in your freshman season?
2: Um, I really didn't have no expectations. If I'm being honest with you, I I just wanted to come in and work, come in and compete for a spot. I knew that's one thing I had to come and come in and do is come compete. Um, and I loved during the recruitment process; they didn't sugarcoat it like you're going to come in play minutes or you're going to you're going to have to come in and compete and yeah. That's the best thing you ask for. You just come in and compete. Um, that's given to you. So there's not too many expectations coming into the the program.
0: It's interesting because when uh Jesse talked to Greg a couple of weeks before the season, or not a couple of weeks before the season, but right as the season was get going, he he talked about you and how maybe there was a situation where, you know, it wasn't to like the the week or two before the season started that he really is like maybe maybe John's going to actually be able to help us this year. Can you pinpoint the time when you knew, gosh, I am going to get some minutes on the floor. I'm going to play a role in this, this year for, for these guys. Cause maybe it wasn't, or did you feel that all along?
2: I don't know that it wasn't really a moment. I think like a week or two before the season started, I was really playing good and I was like, really like gaining my confidence. Not in my games, in the offense and the way they play. So like when you get confidence in that, I mean, your game kind of flows and, I wasn't used to the type of basketball Wisconsin's playing growing up or playing AAU. So when I figured out the the ins and outs of the offense, how to score the offense, um, that's when I gained a little bit more confidence. And then my teammates gained more confidence in me. Uh, they knew I played hard, but just now they see it in a different aspect of me scoring, of me just doing it all on the court and implementing it in their offense. So that's when I kind of realized I, I got a real chance to be on the court.
1: I think people knew you'd fit in well because of your defensive ability, but has your offensive efficiency, I don't know if surprised you is the right word, but why have you been so effective on that end to come in right away and be able to have these games where you're scoring in double figures?
2: Um, One thing my dad really preached to um, me and my trainer was like college is about efficiency. It's not about how many points you can score. It's about how many how efficient you can be when you're scoring points my dad was big on that because in high school I didn't take busy shots. I worked on that efficiency, limited by dribbles. You're only going to get a, at least three, four dribbles, five dribbles max if you're not the main ball handler in college, which I knew coming in I wasn't going to be. So you got to create your offense, I'll catch and shoot, four or five dribbles, get to your spot. So that's one thing I worked on. And uh, in high school, I definitely worked on it too. Um, not taking crazy shots. I mean, having your three-point percentage in the 40s, having your free throws percentage in the 80s, um, and your field goal in the 50s. So that's one thing you, like, focus on um, in your training, I feel like. The
0: the scoring aspect of your game is, is different than what you were kind of asked to do in high school, though, too, right? I mean, you had a couple of really good scorers with you uh, in in high school, and you were kind of more of a facilitator. It's not that you couldn't score; it just wasn't necessarily what was being asked of you. How different is this role that you're playing right now with Wisconsin than what you came uh, that you came up in playing in high school?
2: I'm just a little bit different um, because I had two two ball dominant players I was playing with, um, which were really good players, really good scores. Um, so sometimes, like, you know, I was chilling. I had to get them the ball. Get my assistant get out the way. I actually had three guys to be honest with you. He's a senior Warren Marshall back at um, Brother Rice now and he was just becoming a scorer at that point. So I was like, wow, this my job is easy. Just lead the team, play some defense, um and uh get them the ball. But then coming in, I knew the badges need a little bit more scoring. And I knew like if I want to get on the court, like I can't relax, like try to get guys involved. I gotta come in, be aggressive. So during the summer, I played a lot of open runs. Um, Marcus Stout, um, he's with the Pistons um, G League team. I think he used to have open runs with pros, some G League guys, some college guys coming back home. So in those runs, I was just you know being aggressive, getting my shot my my shot off, and learning how to catch my rhythm quick. Like you can't as a freshman, you probably don't got all game to try to catch your rhythm. So just learning my rhythm, getting my rhythm quick as soon as I as soon as I touch the rock. So that's one thing that helped me being a better scorer coming into Wisconsin.
1: What was Greg Gard's message to you during the recruiting process, and why did you decide this was the place where you wanted to be? I mean,
2: he was just—they were constant on me. Greg, uh, Coach Gard, constantly called me, check up on me, and I didn't even talk about basketball. Some day, just check how I'm doing, um, grades. Uh, he was really focused on. You got you? Got to be have good grades. You got to be. Really a good academic student. Um, He was telling me, like, we're a winning program. I mean, we win. um, And that year, they did win the Big Ten Championship. So that was, like, a good thing to back it up. Um, But, yeah, they just preached. They kept it real with me during that recruiting process. Um, Didn't shoot, code it. It's like, come in here, compete. And one thing they didn't really have to sell me on the coach. I love the coaches overall, but the one thing that sold me was the players how much a tight bond these players have um how how good they connect than some places where I visited
0: and they they were a high major offer vote too, right I mean they were uh one of the one of the big programs that that did offer you something that you didn't get a ton of how much yeah. did that how much did that put a little bit of a chip on your shoulder too? Like these guys believe in me and now I can go and back it up and, and show that I, that their belief in me is, is right.
2: Well, that was, that was a really big thing. Um, after I committed, I mean, like after I committed, I played a really good AAU season. My team finished 15 and two. Um, and I was doing really good. And a lot of color coaches, um, some were calling my phone. Some were calling some of my coaches phone, um, and a lot of a lot of people were kind of surprised how how fast I committed. Uh, a lot of people thought I waited out um, because I was eventually going to get some more offers, some high majors. But um, I was excited with my decision. I was like, they took a chance with me from the jump, so why not co- why not come here?
1: You've got a a long season ahead of you, a long career ahead of you. But so far, what would you say has been the most challenging? thing in adjusting to the college game and what has been the most rewarding for
2: you um the most challenging thing I would say is the physical part of the big 10 and just just college in general um and the most rewarding thing is just getting to play with guys that love to play with you every day um that's the most rewarding thing guys that got your back guys that go to war about you and guys you compete with you um every day
0: any fun stories from down in Fort Myers? You guys were down there for what, three, four days? Is there any? Do you guys do anything fun? Anything that we didn't see that was on TV?
2: Nah, no, really didn't. <laughs> I mean, I was hitting Waffle House at like 11, 11 p.m., um, twelve, just making just making Waffle House runs because I love Waffle House. Um, nothing too crazy. Um, AJ said he heard some uh, iguanas fighting outside his room, so he was pretty scared. that like, he didn't want to sleep that night. But I mean, that's pretty much it. There's a lot of iguanas. I never seen an iguana that big though. We took a walk and we seen uh, two iguanas. Ooh, scared though. <laughs> Not Nothing none too crazy. It was a really, it was a really fun trip. Uh, I love the Badger fans for coming out for that. Um, uh, that's that's one instance i realized like we have like, some of the best fan base in, in the country for sure um just walking into the game and seeing how many people were outside tailgating before the game was just it was just crazy like you you, you gotta love it from being a player so yeah
1: you come into this marquette game as a team on a four game winning streak do you huh. think this group found something down there especially beating virginia the way that you did and then coming back to beat
2: smu oh for sure Definitely, definitely found some. Um, definitely on a roll right now. and We just want to keep it up. Um, and I think we're just fine to play together. I mean, we got some new guys um, in the rotation now. Um, and some new roles in the rotation now. And we definitely, like, um, trying to build on this momentum we are having right now. So, definitely. There's, there's so
0: many guys back from last year, right? You know, like the 92% scoring and all that. But do you think you guys have been able to interject – some some energy into it, whether it's you, whether it's AJ, whether it's Nolan, do you think like you've been able to energ- interject a little bit uh, of energy into what uh, was coming back from last year?
2: I feel like definitely. Uh, me and Nolan, I talk about this because we're both sitting next to each other a bit the so two freshmen. I mean, we ask each other, you nervous? <laughs> um, nah, not today. So I mean, we sometimes check in at the same time and just talk to each other. Only thing we can do only thing we control is our energy and how we play. So I'm like, no, let's go here. Let's play with some energy. Let's play with some passion. You know, let's lift our team up. I mean, that's the only thing we could can do. We can't can't be promised minutes, but when we get in, me and Nolan, we try to bring the most energy. Um and one big uh play to show that was the the alley with the freshman. That was that was that was a really good one. I really smiled coming in. He looked at me, he said, that was a clip for sure. So <laughs> Now, that's the only thing we can do, you know.
0: I got you. I got you. All right. I'll get you on this. Has there been any talk about the rivalry between Wisconsin and Marquette? Uh, it's, it feels like it's more of a rivalry on one side, but I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you answer that question because you're in the building and you're new to it. So has there been any talk about it?
2: No, not really. I just know it's really, gonna be, really going to be packed. With uh, but there's been no talk pretty much. Um, a lot of the guys are hyped for the game, of course. Like it's it's good for the state of Wisconsin basketball, but no no talk. I haven't heard any too many. I think guys are more hyped to play Michigan. <laughs> um, than I'm more hyped to play Michigan. I feel like that's our rivalry right now. So, um but definitely this is a rivalry um, with them being in the same state, with them being what top five in the country now, and it's definitely be a good game for sure. Um, and then uh, I got a, a guy over there, uh, Coach Dre Haynes, that's on their coaching staff. He's from Detroit, exactly. Like, same parts, same people. So it's definitely going to be a fun game for me and him to just talk to each other. So, yeah.
0: Should be a good environment on Saturday at the Kohl Center. It's the They're calling for a whiteout, and uh, Wisconsin's got a, a big challenge in front of them, obviously what uh, Marquette has, but the Badgers seem to have found something here of late, including uh, with freshman John Blackwell. John, thank you very much.
2: Of course. Thank you, guys.
0: All right, there he was, John Blackwell. Really appreciate him taking some time. Busy day for him, obviously, as he uh, gets ready to take on Marquette on Saturday. The Badgers get ready to take on Marquette on Saturday. I wanted to talk – let's talk about some of these games here. I asked this question on my Twitter on uh, Monday night after they beat Western Illinois. These next three games, at – or excuse me, against number three Marquette at uh, Michigan State, at number two Arizona. What's Wisconsin's record coming out of that? An overwhelming Mm -hmm. majority of them said one and two, but the next closest answer was 0 and three. Where are you at when when it comes to this? I
1: voted in your poll because I wanted to see how everybody (laughs) else was voting. I went with one and two. Um, If we go game by game, I mean – I'm so excited about this Marquette game because, like you were saying before, it's generational. I don't know, but they're third in the country. I watched the Marquette Kansas game. Kansas has a phenomenal team. Marquette won that game. Marquette very nearly beat Purdue, and if they had, they would have been the number one team in the country. Coming, I was kind, into of, hoping this game. I
0: was kind yeah, of hoping for that. Was kind of hoping for that. Of
1: course, that. I was too. It would have been great. But either way, at number three, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is their highest ranking since like the 1977-78 season. Uh, very few opportunities do you have that have Marquette come into to Madison with a team this highly ranked on the other hand it's a rivalry game and Wisconsin and Marquette play tight games I, I I don't know I mean I don't know if they win that one but if they don't they're gonna have to win at Michigan State because that Arizona team I mean to play two top three teams in a three-game stretch is ridiculous I think they'll figure out a way to win one
0: it is ridiculous which one's most likely
1: yeah, I almost want to say Marquette because they'll be so juiced, but that Marquette team is so good. But, but the other thing is Michigan state has struggled and they lost to James Madison to open the season. Now that's a good James Madison team, clearly, but it's also in East Lansing and that's tough. I think it's gotta be one of those two because at the end of that, to then go to Tucson and play Arizona is a challenge.
0: Yeah, Saturday's going to be hyped because it is, you know, it's the in-state rival. It's the top five team. It is, I mean, in Marquette side as well, going to be hyped after losing at home to Wisconsin last year. They obviously got a whole lot better throughout the year, Marquette did, and uh, certainly finished better. Though, again, neither team, I mean, Wisconsin obviously played later in the season than they did.
1: (laughs) Yes, they did make (laughs) the semifinal of the NIT, which it's like the age-old question. Would you rather make the NCAA tournament? and get bounced in the first game or not go at all, but then win three games and get to play in the not invited tournament and make the semifinal.
0: I I don't know. I think we're both on the, well, maybe we're not on the same page. This is a very easy answer for me. I'm making the NCAA tournament every single time.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm all in for the NCAA tournament. No, nobody wants to be in the NIT. Nobody at the start of the year goes, man, I hope we really have a chance to get to that NIT. No.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, let's get a, a, a few Twitter questions before we, uh, finish up here uh nuclear badger he says thank you zach and jesse for breaking the swing back first of all uh did the badgers overschedule this non-conference season
1: i think we talked about this briefly on temple and Heilprin, and if i'm not mistaken do we have different viewpoints on this i know i'm i'm all for I think, this schedule i think
0: we have a little bit different viewpoints
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm i'm adamant on in my in my stance here uh Play the best teams you possibly can if you have a team like this one for Wisconsin. I think it's different if it's a bunch of freshmen, if it's a team that's totally unknown and they're just going to be beaten down and you have no idea what to expect and they're probably going to lose every game. No, go out and give yourself a chance to play the best teams. And if you lose, okay, um, obviously you want to pick up some wins and build your NCAA tournament resume, but I am all for a schedule like this. The other thing is they're going to play Marquette every year. It just so happens. This Marquette team is really good. Um, a, a matchup like Tennessee that's going to happen in a lot of years with, uh, with the way that Wisconsin is able to play some of those power five matchups, whether it's home or on the road, it's more challenging than previous years, but I am all for a schedule like this with a team like this, that Wisconsin has.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you knew you're going to play Tennessee, I don't necessarily understand the scheduling of Arizona and the same, the same one. Like for me, it's it's pack up the wins or or not pack up the wins, but rack up the wins. More wins the better. And when it comes to March, they're not necessarily looking at the at the teams you lost to. They're looking at the teams you beat and the number of wins that you have. And Wisconsin didn't have enough wins last year. They didn't belong in the incident tournament. Let's be fair about that last year, the way that they played, especially down the stretch, to face a non-conference schedule like they're doing this year is extremely extremely difficult now would you rather do it this year than a year in which you're trying to replace a ton of players absolutely and maybe that's what Greg guards thinking was and he said he was going to learn about his team and all that good stuff but only one of these three games are teams that you wouldn't play right like the Arizona one is the only one that is not something that you would play anyways in a, in a normal year the Tennessee game is one that you obviously was the home was a return home and home from something that happened like four years ago so there are those, those are all worked in here. The Providence game being part of the Gavit tip-off games, you don't you didn't ne- necessarily have to play in that, but because you hadn't played in it, you didn't play in it last year, you probably wanted to. And to be fair, Providence is a solid team, but it's not a great team. You just didn't show up and play very well. So I'm personally of the belief that you rack up as many wins as possible. The Big Ten, I think, is going to be good enough that you'll be able to find solid wins in there to to boost your resume. Do you really need to face Tennessee and in Arizona, probably not, but they did and they are, and now they have to <laughs> they have to deal with it. So Ian asked about uh, Gus. He said, is it the rule? You can't play any minutes at all to red shirt. Yes. That is the rule in, in college basketball, as opposed to college football where you can play four games and still not have to, and still not lose your red shirt. Do you think basketball should do that?
1: Yes, I do. I love that I rule.
0: I don't understand why. I
1: mean, I, it's just like football. If, if you have a fringe player and you don't know what they're capable of or you want to see how much they improve, give them a handful of opportunities. There are times, which we've seen in football, where somebody was on the fringe and played so well that they became a regular. And other guys who weren't ready and they taper off, I would love to see that rule. I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. And again, I know it's, it's a little bit different. College football, there's so many guys, and, there's, and, and most of them usually are redshirting, especially Usually at a program like Wisconsin, you're, you're usually seeing, what, six, maybe five, six, seven, maybe, true freshmen that actually are going to see the field more than four games. So it's nice to have that four-game thing and kind of see where where guys are at. And the guys that are ready at the beginning of the season aren't necessarily the guys that are ready at, at, in the middle of the season, too. So seeing being able to see guys at the end of a regular season is also a positive. Um, we'll finish with this one. It is about the Western Illinois mascot. They are the Western Illinois Leathernecks. What is a Leatherneck?
1: Well, I had to Google this because I couldn't actually tell you, but <laughs> since we're in the business of providing answers, yeah. this, according to the Western Illinois site, that Western Illinois holds the distinction of being the only non-military institution to officially have its nickname derived from a branch of the military service. Mm-hmm. And it's actually uh, the Marine Corps official nickname the Fighting Leathernecks, which is what Western Illinois was known as in 1927. So there is your background. But the other yeah. thing is, uh, we were talking about this previously, and uh, uh, but it's worth pointing out. When I was in school at uh, Knox College, which was right by Western Illinois, and since I'm old, that was a long time ago, the women's teams had a different nickname. Uh, they were actually called the Winds, while the men's teams were the Leathernecks. This is a true story. And then in two thousand nine, the men and the women unified the nickname, and they became the Leathernecks together. I, I cannot remember any other school where the women had a different nickname, but I knew that was true.
0: Yeah, so like a completely different nickname, right? Like the uh, like at Tennessee, it's the Lady Volunteers. It's not yes. the it's not the Tennessee Volunteers. Like the women team, women's team is different, but a completely different nickname. That is uh, that is that that is a good nugget a good nugget for everybody to know. That's um, why we're
1: here. That's obviously what we're here for. You came to this pod of the season premiere of
0: the swing to hear about the background of Western Illinois. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be back next week. We'll uh, we'll do a show middle of next week after they face uh, Michigan state. So we will be talking Marquette, we talk in Michigan state getting ready for their trip to Tucson to face the wildcats. Is it the lady wildcats for the women? Jesse, do you know <laughs> No?
1: All right. That well, information I don't have, but I'm pretty sure they're not the Western wins.
0: Okay, all right. Um, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.